Welcome to Embrace the Musica. I'm Dominique Dines, who at the age of 21 moved abroad to Mexico to start teaching after growing up in a small town in Minnesota. Embrace the Musica was started right before COVID-19 and is meant to be a place where we can be vulnerable about our story, the good, the bad, and the ugly parts that make us who we are today as we are constantly growing. I also love hearing about other people's journeys. So on many episodes, I get to invite incredible women onto the show to encourage us all. So let's embrace the musica today. All right, welcome everybody to Embrace the Musica this week. I'm so excited to have yet another friend on the podcast this week. And this episode is special this month as it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I I'm so excited to get to hear more about Sabrina's journey as she shares some of the ups and downs she's experienced over the last few years. And just to give you a little bit of background, Sabrina and I were just talking and we met maybe back in 2016, so maybe five years ago now, through a group of women living abroad called Women Helping Women. A lot of the women that have come on the podcast have actually, I've met through that group and it's just such a good support group. Sabrina's also going to share with us a little bit today about her kind of side businesses and how they have developed over the years. And I've been able to uh, be the lucky recipient of both of her businesses on the side. And so I'm excited to learn more about her story. But thank you so much, Sabrina, for being here today. I'd love to start by just learning a little bit more about your journey. What brought you to Mexico? And tell us why you came and what you're doing here, how it all started. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today and be able to share my story and my story into living abroad as mm -hmm. well as with my breast cancer journey. Yeah. So um, my husband and I have been here in Guadalajara for five years now. And what brought us here is his job. He had gone through two layoffs in the States. We were living in Austin before moving here. Mm -hmm. And he applied at a bunch of jobs and he got the opportunity to come down and interview for a job here. And we had always wanted at some point to live outside of the U.S. just to have the experience of it. So mm -hmm. when he got the opportunity, we were just kind of talking about it. And of course, I was freaked out in the beginning. I was like, what do you mean in Mexico? Like, where are we going to go? And he said, not Mexico City, it'll be Guadalajara. It's a little bit, you know, calmer, a little smaller city. And I said, well, let's go down and visit. So we came down and visited for a long weekend and then realized it's just like any other big city in the U.S. And with getting a European visa to work is, was so hard at the time, we thought maybe it would just be our only chance to ever get to live outside of the country. So we just decided, let's do it came down with the intention of staying for probably two years and then just ended up falling in love with it. That's awesome. And that's funny because I find, and I'm sure you found this too, the more and more people we talk to who live in Broad, it's kind of a similar story in that, oh, we just came for a couple of years and then here we are, you know, many, many exactly. years later. Um, and so you're both from the States. You said you were living in Austin and then you actually decided not only to stay here, but you sold everything in the States. And you are you sitting in your new house right now? Yes, we're sitting in I'm sitting in the new house right now. OK, um, we decided 
the first year, year and a half was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. um, I traveled back and forth to the States quite often um, with work. And then every time I would come back here, I would be super depressed. And mm -hmm. then I would go to the States and I would work and I'd feel great. And so luckily I had about three girlfriends who all at some point in a girl's trip that we did about a year after being here told me, you're severely depressed. Something is wrong. Mm -hmm. You need to seek therapy. So I came back, did therapy and did a lot of work with that therapist and then realized just how much I loved Mexico mm -hmm. and made some priority changes in my life as to try and, you know, build a business here and stuff. And once I did that, we really kind of decided that we were going to retire here. Mm -hmm. So we thought at some point we would need to go back to the U.S. to make U.S. dollars to have enough to retire. And then my husband, being the engineer he is, did mm -hmm. all the calculations and figured out we don't really have to do that. And with not being able to be, get settled there in Austin, because mm -hmm. I traveled so much with work at the time, it was really hard for me. So I think moving here was the hardest part was finding friends and getting settled. But once I decided that that was my goal and that was my priority to do it, then I started realizing just how much I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I told him, if we don't have to go back to the States, why do we? Like, I want to be able to settle in and make this home. And so we talked about it at length and decided we were going to stay forever. So we sold our townhouse in Austin and use that money to buy our house here. Mm -hmm. And we just got super lucky, found a great little house close to the big giant Parque Metropolitano. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's no real reason to go back. So that made mm -hmm. our decision to stay here so much easier. I love that. It was just, the climate here is fantastic. Being from Texas, there's so much heat and so much cold. It's very, very polar opposites in the summer and winter. And here the climate's very temperate. Mm -hmm. It's really California weather. And you can't get that anywhere else than California, which is <laughs> crazy expensive. Yeah. So um, for us, I think probably that was the biggest thing was the climate, the cost of living versus the states. Um, and overall, the pace of life here is slower. It seems more like people here just work so that they can live. A decent life and enjoy their life whereas I feel like a lot of people in the states live to work mm -hmm. yeah I think that's I think that's pretty common um, yeah. and then I forgot to ask you because you mentioned it a couple times you used to travel a lot for work so you were actually you were working with a cycling team correct yes yes yeah. I traveled with a professional women's cycling team as their massage therapist okay and the first year that we lived here, I probably had to travel to about 10 races. Oh, wow. And so it was a week here, a week in the States, two weeks here, two weeks in the States, a week here, two weeks in the States. That back and forth mm -hmm. made it really hard to settle in for sure. and even try and make friends. So Yeah, for sure. And then you also mentioned something that's really important. And we've talked about this on a few episodes, but just the importance of taking care of our mental health and finding a therapist and working on yes. ourselves and I think that's something uh, we just talked about that a month ago with Jenica just saying how important that is to really um, make that time for yourself and just make yourself a priority too oh yeah it was huge and I had never thought about it mm -hmm. I've never really been the one to think of 
therapy as, oh, you go to therapy. Yeah. You know, the, the bad stigma that it has to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And l- I'm so lucky to have my three best friends who all at some point came to me and really expressed that to me. And it really made me think like, is there really something else going on? Mm-hmm. And so I'm very thankful for them. And that was probably one of the best trips that I could have had at that specific time in my life yeah. and came back and luckily had a great therapist here and Mm -hmm. six or eight months of going to therapy. And it really, even though I've never been the person who's thought going to see a therapist is bad, it was something that I never really thought I needed to do. And then when I did it, it really opened my eyes. And I was like, everybody at some point in their life can benefit from therapy, I believe. For sure. And that negative stigma should be changed. It should be something that's openly talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And what a blessing to have those friends who had that hard conversation and talk to you about that too. Um, I wanted to ask you today, because I mentioned it when I introduced you, but living abroad, Uh you've also been dabbling in your own business you have you do massage therapy you are the queen of baked goods now you were just telling me right before we started (laughs) recording that you have some cookies that you're icing at the moment um how did that all get started like did you once you decided to stay did you just decide that you were going to continue your massage therapy here how did the baking get started just tell us all the details i'm super interested Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I've always enjoyed massage. I've been doing massage for more than 20 years. Um, And in the States, I worked with athletes and traveled with the cycling team. So once I really realized that I wanted to stay here and I needed to make making my life here a priority and settling in, then of course I've wanted to start building my massage business. So luckily the group where you and I met, WHW, is where I initially started trying to gain massage clients to come to the house. And I think you were probably one of the first ones to come and see me actually. (laughs) And then just the best way that I've found over the 20 years is word of mouth. Referrals Mm -hmm. work so much better than you can pass out probably a hundred cards and you might get two people who come in to see you based off of business cards. So um, I really kind of credit you a lot for helping build my massage business because you spread the word. You'd been here for many years before I moved here. Um, But really, so now my massage business is mostly focused on the expat community, Mm -hmm. the teachers at the American school or the consulate, things like that. I do have a few clients who are cyclists. And I got those mainly from my husband who cycles with a group here all of the time. Oh, okay. And I still do travel with a cycling team. It's just less, Mm -hmm. maybe two to four races a year versus 10. Yeah. And then in the time when I was waiting to do the building up of all of my massage clients, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. So in the meantime, I was kind of bored and I really enjoy baking. I've always enjoyed baking my entire life. So I figured, well, I'll just start baking some things and (laughs) take them to a couple of the WHW events. I used to volunteer with Junior League Mm -hmm. here in Guadalajara, and I would take them there. And then 
people started asking me, do you sell these? Like, these are delicious. Do you sell these? And I'm like, well, I'd never thought about it, but sure, I can sell them, you know? So I don't do that as, you know, my main gig. That's kind of my side job. Mm -hmm. And I do it because I love it and it's fun. It's a creative outlet for me. Mm -hmm. And I can make a little bit of extra money. Now, I don't mark up my prices, of course, like a lot of the bake shops here do, where you'll pay seven, eight, 900 pesos for a cake you know Mm -hmm. um i do it just because i really enjoy it and i try to bake everything and decorate everything with love just because it's something i really enjoy doing i love that and it's really taken off yeah and so what are you what kind of cookies are you icing today like what are you making so right now i have an order for this week is halloween week so i've got two orders for some Halloween cookies, and then I have another order for some Dia de Muertos. Oh, fun. Uh, the calaveritas, uh-huh. the little sugar skull cookies. Um, so that's, that's what so I'm fun. working on today. Yeah, and so, yeah. so do you find, are a lot of the things you're baking, are they seasonal then? like does it- A lot of times okay. they're seasonal. And I find it's much easier to sell the baked goods yeah. when it's the season for it you know Mm -hmm. and i'd kind of had that idea last christmas when i had a few people ask me if i made gingerbread cookies and i said yeah i do make gingerbread cookies and you know i did some little at home kits which i plan to do again this year where you just get you know six or a dozen gingerbread cookies and a couple of tubes of royal icing Uh to decorate and you can do it at home with your kids i love that um so, and I feel like more of the people who buy the things from me are also the expat community because they're missing those U.S. sweets. Mm-hmm. Everything here in Mexico is not as sweet. The The cakes are kind of dry and dense and the icing isn't as sweet. So I feel like it's yeah. a little bit of home that I can give to people here. For sure. Um, is there like a most, like what's your most popular thing that you make or do you think it's like the gingerbread cookies i would probably the- say the most popular is probably either the decorated sugar cookies okay or cake pops uh yes cake pops aren't really a thing here yeah like a lot of mexicans don't know what cake pops are so when tim would take them to work because that's kind of how i started i was like well i'm just gonna bake this and i'm gonna send it to work with tim yeah and of course try all the flavors and everything and of course the feedback i got from all of his co-workers being mexican was oh the icing's too sweet oh the icing's too sweet yeah but then they had the cake pops and man they just ran through <laughs> those cake pops like crazy so oh, that's funny. they're easy to make they're fun you can make them for anything i've done bridal showers baby showers i've done a couple of gender reveal cakes for babies okay and those are really fun because i'm the only one that knows what it is yeah, so. yeah yeah oh so fun i love that and i love that you said it's an artistic expression or just like outlet for you too so i think yes. that's so important for everyone to find that in some capacity um, yes so yeah kudos to you for just like finding that passion and then you're really good at it too. I mean, I've seen the decorations and it's not just the typical, you know, like me throwing something together for my kids. Like it looks very professional. Thank Um, you. Yeah, and actually a funny story. I don't know if you're remembering this, but Sabrina actually saved one of my uh, birthday cupcakes a few years ago. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't have the right color or the right kind of dye and now I've bought all the right kind thanks to Sabrina. But anyway, she saved some Lightning McQueen cupcakes that were pink and I needed them to be red. So thank you for that. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) A couple years ago. Um, 
so fun to learn more about your passions and what you've been doing while living abroad and also just how you're making a home here. Um, now, you're going to have to give me the correct timeline on this because I don't know exactly when you had the shocking news that you had breast cancer because I know you've always been very healthy, active. Uh, you yourself also cycle, right? Yes, yeah. I do. I used to race back in Texas, but had a couple of accidents and injuries and decided with massage being my main job, it's probably not the smartest idea for me to try and race bikes because okay. my hands are my livelihood. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I still cycle and, you know, I walk the dog three times a day, of course. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I'm very strongly into exercise. I do it for my health and I do it because I know it's going to keep me living longer so I can spend time with the people that I love. Yeah. Uh, but that, but I have always been pretty healthy and pretty active for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was 2019 in November, I went for my annual mammogram okay. and they found a lump on my right breast and wanted to do a biopsy, which at the time I wasn't super scared because two years previous to that was my very first mammogram ever when I turned 40. And they found a lump on my left side, had a biopsy. At that time, of course, I was freaked out. That's the first mammogram I'd ever had. They find a lump. I'm like, what's going on? Mm -hmm. So they decided that that one was just benign after the biopsy. No worries. Next year in 2018, no problems, no changes. 2019, they find the lump in the right side, did a biopsy, and on December 4th, I got the results back that it was breast cancer. And wow. I would say the bad thing for being here in Mexico is you get all of your results given to you and you carry your results to the doctor. So I, being of course a little worried, opened the envelope, couldn't read much of all of the details in Spanish but I did see the word carcinoma, which is cancer. And I was completely just floored. Uh, and were you- I was waiting for my husband to get home. I was waiting for my gynecologist to call me because I had sent her a picture of the results because that's what she told me, send me a picture of the results as soon as you get them via WhatsApp, which is fantastic. That's another thing I love about Mexico, being able to talk to your doctors via text. Mm -hmm. And she called me back um, immediately. And Tim and I sat down and she told me the news that yes, it is cancer. And I needed to go see an oncologist. And she immediately gave me his name and phone number. And I called his office, not actually his office, I called his cell phone number and made an appointment with me saw him the next day. Wow. Immediately. I mean, everything happened so quick. It was it was just really scary. I mean, I was devastated. I was shocked. I was completely scared. Almost in a, day, in a daze. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going on. It's like I've lost. You just go numb. Like, I can't believe this is happen happening to me. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I have a fantastic gynecologist here who was very understanding and she probably spent an hour and a half on the phone with us trying to calm me down and saying, you know, let's see the oncologist and see what's going on. You need to take this 
day by day. It's very treatable. Everything's going to be okay. Um, just being in that daze for probably almost a month was just really, really hard for me. Yeah. And how did Tim take it? I mean, he of course was scared. I think he was being very strong for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was probably a lot more scared when he was away from me at night or when he was at work. Um, but being the engineer that he is, he's okay. You're presented with a problem and let's go to the doctor tomorrow. And he's going to give us the details on how to fix the problem. And then we're going to fix the problem. And then we go from there. So he, I think for him, it was much easier to take it day by day. And for me, it was very hard for me to be like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to lose just one breast? Am I going to lose both of them? Are they going to take just the lump out? What if I have to have chemo? What if I have to have radiation? The what ifs just kept coming and coming and coming and were really hard for me to like press down and be like, calm down, take it one day at a time. So, and he was just phenomenal for me, really, Tim was. He's stood by my side the entire time. I ended up having to have a mastectomy because Mm -hmm. after I saw the oncologist, they did extra testing. Okay. Where I went and did two or three different scans, a CT scan, a mammogram, and I think a bone scan that all had contrast dye. And once they had the contrast dye in there, it just up a second tumor in the same breast, okay. just like daylight. And he said immediately, he's like, okay, now it's not in the same area of your breast. It's a whole different area. He's like, so you cannot just do a lumpectomy. We can't just take the first tumor out. We have to take the whole breast. So at that point, it was more, how do I make this, how do I make them the most similar? I mean, you're losing a part of your body that is associated with becoming a woman. Mm-hmm. Your entire life, you look forward to that when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. When am I going to get my breasts? When, am, you know, like, oh, I get to buy my first bra. And I think the hard part is once you're, old enough and you have been used to them for years to lose them is almost like losing a part of your identity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. for me, that was the hard part. So everything happened so quickly that I didn't have much time to really sit and decide, do I want reconstruction? Do I not want reconstruction? What am I going to do? Do I delay it? Do I wait? So really the first week and a half, after I was diagnosed was spent going to the doctor, going and getting more tests, going back to the oncologist, having him tell me, okay, now it's a mastectomy, visiting with plastic surgeons to pick a plastic surgeon, because at the time I was mentally not prepared to go without. I mean, I needed to replace that so that I still have that feeling of Mm -hmm. femininity. Um, So it was, it's very hard. and I look back on it now and say that I, I think I probably went through it very well. But at the time, you don't feel, feel that. like that yeah. at all. You just feel like your whole life is a mess and you don't know what you're going to do and nobody's going to love you anymore. Aww. And it was just one of those things that you really, thank goodness, I had found 
a different therapist because my other therapist had moved away. Mm-hmm. Um, she was also an expat. So I had to find another therapist here and I had started having sessions with her weekly, which I think was very good for me. Another life saving yeah. instead of letting myself go down the never ending rabbit hole of what if. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, how long, I mean, you said it was October, 2019. I had the diagnosis in December December, of 2019 and then January 9th. So I was diagnosed December 4th and on January 9th, 2020, I had the double mastectomy, both sides. I decided to take both sides because in my mind, being a massage therapist and knowing a little bit about the medical field, if I have it in one side, eventually aren't I going to have it in the other? Mm Mm-hmm. And so that coupled with the best outcome for reconstruction to where they would look the most similar was to do a bilateral mastectomy. Wow. And it was a good thing that I did that because they did pathology on the left side during surgery Mm -hmm. and found cancer already in the left side that was not detected in mammogram. or in CT scan. So the oncologist said, you're very, you're right to make that decision to take both because in six months you would have had cancer that invaded your breast on the left side. Oh my goodness, Sabrina. Wow. That's so I feel very lucky that I just made that decision to, you know what? I've had a problem with one. I'm done. Yeah. Just get rid of them both. And Let's move on from there. So I had the mastectomy in January of 2020. And my cancer, there's different types of breast cancer. So my cancer is responsive to hormones, which means estrogen, progesterone, Mm -hmm. those things that, you know, keep us being quote unquote women. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I then had to go on a medication that blocks all of those hormones. Oh, wow. So I not only had to go through all of the recuperation from a double mastectomy, which is extremely hard, that then on top of it, I was thrown into kind of chemical menopause because of the hormone blocker, because I I can't have any estrogen in my body or cancer could grow again. Wow. Yeah. So, so not only was it mastectomy, now it's welcome to menopause at 42 years old. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's what I was, yes. so was going to ask. So what is like currently, what are you doing to make sure like you're preventing any future cancer then? That's one of the things you're doing. Yes. So to reduce my risk even more, that's why I decided to do the double mastectomy. Okay. And then about six months after I had the double mastectomy, I went for a checkup with the oncologist because he saw me every three months, I think, for the first year. And after six months, he said, let's do an ultrasound of your pelvis and abdomen, you know, just checking to make sure because every once in a while, even though my lymph nodes were clear of cancer, sometimes there's rogue cells that just find their way into other parts of your body. So he always does scans probably every six months and hopefully that will change to once a year now. 
Um, but they found a huge cyst on one of my ovaries in oh, wow. July of last year. And that, he said, to him, 60% looked like cancer. So it was again, all over again, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I've now got cancer again. And we decided to take that ovary out. And I asked him, is it better, since you're already in there, to take the other one, since my cancer respond to hormones? And he said, absolutely. It's 100% better to take it. He said, you'll still have to be on a medication to block the other hormones that your body still naturally produces. But by taking both ovaries, it reduces the estrogen, my, estrogen in my body hugely. So that reduces my risk. So I had that surgery in August of last year. Okay. And then in October was when I finished my reconstruction. So three surgeries in 10 months, taking a hormone blocker. So one thing that I did not know was not only do your ovaries produce estrogen, your thyroid, your adrenal glands, and your fat cells in your body produce estrogen. So that's why I have to continually take a hormone blocker, even though I've already had my ovaries taken out. I didn't know that either. Yeah. So now what I, I do those, that's partially what I've done to reduce my risk of recurrence. Okay. Um, and now I think probably what I do is try to eat a little bit healthier. I did ask my oncologist, is sugar linked to cancer? I've heard that for many, many years. And he said, there are lots of speculations, but there is no actual scientific research that proves that. Okay. He said, the only thing that has scientifically been linked to causing cancer is smoking scientifically. Okay. So luckily I've never smoked, but I grew up in a house with my, where my mom smoked for 30 something years. Mm -hmm. So, um, I don't know if that has any effect on it, but yeah. I don't smoke. I try to limit the amount of alcohol that I drink. I try to eat healthy. Now I'm not, you know, going vegan or vegetarian or anything like that because I know many women on some of the support groups that I'm a part of who have been vegan for 40 plus years and they still have breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Vegetarians who still got breast cancer. Right. Regular people who still got breast cancer. People who exercise seven days a week for two or three hours on the weekends and an hour a day still get breast cancer. Yeah. So unless you are genetically disposed to it, then it doesn't really, he kind of told me, it doesn't really matter too much how you actually live your life. Mm -hmm. If you want to have a glass of wine, have a glass of wine. Just do it in moderation. Yeah. So that's kind of what I try to do now is just eat healthier, try to get exercise, moderation, take my hormone blocker every day. And the other thing that I've been trying to do is reduce my stress. Mm -hmm. Now that is the hardest part because stress does cause, I wouldn't say cause cancer, but stress has a major effect on your body. Mm -hmm. Your body can't function as well as it normally does when you're super stressed out. Totally. So in that time, if you have any rogue cells that decide they're going to multiply instead of fighting off something, 
they're going to do it when you're stressed out, when mm-hmm. your body's cortisol is raised to a super high level. No, absolutely. So you said that you initially had your first mammogram at 40, and that's when they found the first lump in that one. It was fine. It was benign. And then it was two years later. Is there anything else like for women who are listening who, you know, might be worried or just want to make sure they're taking care of themselves? What sort of advice would you give women? We know that breast cancer is one of the leading causes of death among women. And like you said, cancer doesn't discriminate. I mean, it can affect anybody. And that's what's kind of scary, right? Right. Um, It is. So So, as far as advice, I would probably say 100% get your mammograms. Mammograms can detect cancer when it is much, much smaller than you can detect it in a self-exam. Yes, do your monthly self-breast exams for sure, because there are actually 12 signs of breast cancer that your breast can exhibit. 12, 12 different signs. You posted something about that recently, no? Yes. I I remember seeing, was it an egg carton or it was a... It looks like a little egg carton and it has, so it's an app that I found out about after having breast cancer. Okay. um, Called Know Your Lemons. Okay. And you can download it on your phone and it will actually tell you, it'll ask you a few questions about, you know, your period cycle, your age, things like that. And it will tell you when to do your monthly breast self-exam because you don't want to do it too close to your period or too soon after your period because your hormone levels Mm -hmm. are raised and you can feel things that you may think are breast cancer, but they're not. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would say definitely download that application to your phone. And if you are a woman already in menopause who doesn't have your period anymore and you're still doing yourself breast exams, do it on the first of each month. Okay. Like schedule that on the first of each month. So they say when you do a self breast exam, you find a lump about the size of the tip of your thumb. Okay. And a mammogram can find it smaller than the size of the tip of your pinky. So mammograms are 100% the way to go. Now, if you have really dense breast tissue like I did, when I had my first mammogram, my whole breast, when I looked at the scan, just looked white. It looked like just this cloud of cancer cells. And so my gynecologist told me, you have very dense breast tissue. And luckily here in Mexico, they do a 3D mammogram. And then they also do an ultrasound after the mammogram. And so the ultrasound is actually what found my initial lump when I was 40 and had my first mammogram. It's also what found the tumor before I was diagnosed was the ultrasound because my breast tissue is so dense. So if you have dense breast tissue, if your mother has always told you that her breasts were dense, that she's got a lot of fibroids, Mm -hmm. little cysts in there, request an ultrasound because that's going to be able to find it even better. Okay. And so that's something that typically doesn't happen during part of the yearly exams. Yeah. No. Um, Of course, your normal yearly checkup with your gynecologist where they do the breast exam is good. They know what they're feeling for. The thing that really shocked me 
when they found the very first lump that was benign in 2017, it was for me, I had felt that lump for years. Oh, wow. But since my mother had told me I had dense breast tissue and she had fibrocystic lumps that I was probably going to have the same thing. So that's what I thought it was. I thought it was just fibrous tissue. Mm -hmm. And when my gynecologist felt it, she's like, how did you not feel this? This is clearly palpable. This would have alarmed me immediately, you know, and I told her, I said, well, I've always had that. And she's like, okay, this is what you're feeling for. So a lot of women don't even know what they're feeling for when you do your self breast exam. Mm -hmm. So anything that feels like a hard lump or go, if you can go to the Know Your Lemons website or the app, it will tell you what the 12 signs are. You Mm -hmm. can have orange peel skin, your nipple can be inverted, you know, you can have a dent in one side of it, you can have what looks like a little pimple, it can be red. I mean, there's a host of mm-hmm. issues that it can exhibit. So yeah, I'll... mammograms, your self-exams, one in eight women get breast cancer. One in eight. Yeah, I mean, it's super common. Yeah. And I think, I'm sure all the listeners, if not themselves, we all know someone or several people, right, in our lives. Mm-hmm. and. I'll link that website in the show notes too so people can just click on it and find it there. But how are you taking care of yourself now? I mean, you've mentioned you're continuing, is it every six months you said, but it might go down to one, one once yes. a year. Um, yes, you're it was healthy. for the first, first year I was trying, I think the oncologist saw me every three months for the first year. And I had scans, I believe... He did blood work every three months, and then I had a CT scan and ultrasound at the six-month mark. And then at the one-year mark, I had the same thing. Um, So it's time for me to see him again. So I don't know what studies he'll do now, but I do what my oncologist tells me to. I go get my scans. I have my blood work checked. If I see or feel anything awkward Mm -hmm. um, I immediately call him and message him and ask him like hey is this something I should be worried about Um, the other thing that I really kind of have to do is I have to double check before taking any kind of vitamins or supplements or things like that because they may interact badly with my hormone blocker Um, okay The other thing that I try to do is, other than eating healthier, try to exercise, I got in the habit of writing down things I was grateful for in a journal. So I have a separate journal that's just a gratitude journal. Mm -hmm. And I have another journal that I journaled in anytime I was having negative thoughts, anytime I was having a bad day during my mastectomy recovery, all of that. I would just write it down in my bad journal and then either in the morning or in the evening before going to bed, I would take out my gratitude journal and write down things I was grateful for during that. Um, And I try to do that now. I -hmm. also still see my therapist. Um, It's you think that you've come to terms with it and that you learn, eventually you learn over time that 
you're more than just your breasts. Your yeah. breasts are not make you, not what make you a woman. Um, what makes you a woman is inside of you. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's what matters. And you're more than just your breasts, no matter what anybody else tells you. And I've only realized that through therapy. Yeah. Um, I also meditate when I need to. And I'm not very good at meditating the whole sitting in one space and just, oh, you know, I can't do <laughs> yeah. that. I can't quiet my mind. But my therapist had a good, easy, simple and quick meditation for me to do, which I didn't think it was meditation. But she said, if you sit where you are and you say out loud five things you can see, mm-hmm. four things you can hear three things you can smell, two things you can taste, and one thing you can feel. And by the end of doing that, you've calmed yourself down. You've reduced your stress levels, but you've also taken in what is around you Mm -hmm. and realizing, kind of pulling yourself out of that, it's not all about you. Yeah that your negative thoughts that you're having at the moment can be transferred and transformed and made a little bit easier to handle by looking at the things around you. So when I go for a walk now, I notice if there's a gorgeous bougainvillea blooming Mm -hmm. or in our neighborhood, we have parrots that fly around just wild (laughs) parrots in all the trees. And, you know, I'll stop. And I'll watch them for a little while. It's things like that that I try to reduce my amount of stress and cortisol in my body because mm-hmm. I know that that is probably what caused my cancer. Just yeah. because of the timeline of when I got diagnosed and the stress that we had had the four years before that of, you know, my husband going through two layoffs within two years and moving to two different cities and the Mm -hmm. huge changes that were super stressful to me. Yeah, no, for sure. I love that mindful piece. And I'm going to remember that because like as Sabrina and I can see each other for those who are listening and as she was talking, she was using her fingers. And anyways, it made me visualize also like doing this and taking the time just to stop because I think so often we can spiral when we let ourselves go or start getting worried or anxious about things um thank you so much Sabrina for just sharing today for being vulnerable for talking about hard things and the some of the ugly parts also about like just moving abroad and starting over and finding a community and friends. I don't know if there's anything else that you'd like to share as we wrap this up today. Um, the only other thing I would say is, you know, you had touched on it kind of in wrapping up what I was saying about breast cancer is that it doesn't discriminate. So mm-hmm. one in eight women will get it, but men can also get it, but it's like one in a thousand or one in something like that, that men can get it. So it's important for your men in your life to watch as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is important. And that's something else I just learned right now. So (laughs) I've learned, (laughs) I've learned a lot today with you, Sabrina. Thank you. And for anybody who's listening here in Guadalajara, I'll make sure if you want to get in touch with Sabrina for some cookies or massage, 
I'm sure she would be happy to help you out in that area as well. So thank you so much, Sabrina. This was great. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on Embrace the Musica. I truly hope that there was something on this episode that encouraged you, that inspired you, that motivated you. And I would love to hear if it did. So please take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram, share it with your friends, invite another friend to listen. And until next time, with heart and humility, embrace la musica.